John chapter 10, Jesus uses illustrations of shepherding and sheep, which most of us, you know, all we have are books or videos or something. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my father had some sheep. They were all fenced in. Uh, I know they don't like to be rode very much. Uh, about that, <laughs> beyond that, I couldn't tell you too much. Uh, there aren't too many animals that do like to be ridden. <laughs> Pigs didn't like it either. Uh, didn't stop me from trying, but uh, that said, we have what almost to us are quaint illustrations, but Jesus makes some very defining statements, and what I want you to gather out of this are some of these statements. In it, he's going to, to declare that he is the way to the Father, that there aren't other roots. He's going to declare that there are other sheep, but they must be brought in under his care, not just one of the groups. And so in our day, this becomes relevant because there's all the challenge of, you know, aren't all religions the same? Or why do you insist on believing this even though politically it's incorrect? Um, for me, even this last week, I had a conversation with uh, one of our members who, uh, she was called uh, a part of a group that are women haters because we encourage men to lead their homes. And she's trying to defend it, but it, it's still, why do you get called a hater? You, you don't even know us, you know. Um, in the same light, uh, you know, see the Supreme Court is going to take on gay rights, and I assume that's a lost battle to us, you know. And and I don't enjoy being called a homophobe, but the truth is, I preach against pornography, so I'm a pornophobe. I preach against masturbation, I'm a masterphobe. Uh, I preach against adultery, I'm a adulterphobe. <laughs> I preach against sleeping with your girlfriend, so I'm a fornica, yeah, fornica, <laughs> fornicaphobe, you know. To me, sex belongs in marriage, and it's like the stove, the fire's good inside it. Most places outside, it's going to torch you. And, and I believe health is what we're seeking. And that's what God offers us. And the rules don't change. And, and so whether we're in sync politically or out of sync politically, it, it really doesn't... I mean, it matters to me in a sense of I hate the thought of what's potentially there for me <laughs> in this. But at the same time, it doesn't have the power to influence a belief. And what I've found in Christ is better than anything that I've seen. In, in the same way, I, a, a friend this week had posted an article, um, you know, equating Christian terrorism with with happening with the Muslim terrorism. And I'm going, what an asinine article. And I, I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with it yet. I, I woke up six one morning, and I'm just wound up. Sure, I got the blessing of that. 
Uh, but, you know, this is posted by a guy who we took into our midst and fed and cared for when he was sick, gave him free rent. And I don't know how we've been the offenders, but at the same time, I'm looking at it and going, I think you believe this. But for me, I can, I can name 25 countries where personal friends have had their lives in danger simply because of their beliefs. I can't name that in regard to Christian countries. Um, I am well aware of democide. And if you look that up online, studies are done that last century, over 100 million people were put to death by their own governments. You're not going to find that out of Christian governments. So when you, when you start putting forward the other side of the case, you're going, something's really twisted here. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't get it except that there is a spiritual battle of light and dark. And for me, when I embrace what Christ has done, and I embraced his agenda, there's a belief that I'm tying into truth. Not what's truth for me, but what's truth for all. And so that's why I cling to these things, whether they're politically right or not, and will continue to do so, regardless of the implications. That said, let's walk through this. As I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus says the appropriate person to deal with the sheep is the one who owns them. And in this in light of this, I think of the prophecies fulfilled in regarding Christ and say God was involved in history for centuries, involved in time and place, hands-on. And so when he writes through the prophet Micah prophecies concerning the Christ hundreds of years in advance, and he writes through David a thousand years in advance, and he writes you know, through the different ones regarding what we were to look for, and it comes true. There's this confidence that says he has his hand on our history. This isn't random. It isn't accidental. It doesn't just take place. It's not even a, a God who's there but is just distant and uninvolved. This is a God who has his hand on things, who has the ability to orchestrate who knows right and wrong? Who knows what's best for his creation? And so this declaration that, that there, there is a shepherd, others are thieves and robbers, it's a, it's a distinct contrast. It's not, oh, there's lots of shepherds, just you know, pick the one you want. And he says there's thieves and robbers and, and there's a good shepherd. That's how Jesus is laying it out. 
The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, here's the thing that, in a sense, implicates our responsibility. That when you hear the voice of God in your life, there's a necessity of responding to it. One of the things that happens is that when we refuse that voice and we, and we just say, I don't like what he said, and we start listening to other things, there comes a point of confusion that says, I'm not sure what I'm hearing God and what I, I am. I, I'm not sure what, how to, to pull us, you know. I, I suggest you go back to the last time you heard his voice and respond to that. But also in this, there is this opportunity for us to develop discernment that says, I know what to do because he's speaking to me. He gives oversight. The author of history, the creator of all things, has the ability to speak into our lives and give us insight as to how we ought to live. And we need to respond to that when he does. So it doesn't matter how many voices are around us and, and all the buzz that's going on. We need to listen to the important voice when he speaks. When we open up the scripture and, and we see life and something clicks and comes alive to us, we need to respond to that. When we're participating in prayer and, and you know, in that quiet moment and, and, and this overwhelming sense of, this is the way, walk in it. We need to respond to that. When somebody comes with a, uh, to us and speaks, and it's like this sense of life, how did you know that? What do you, maybe completely unaware of our circumstances, but they're speaking something that's like an arrow in our hearts, and there's this click that says, this is truth. There needs to be a response. Your sheep hear his voice. He's gracious enough to speak to them, but also then they follow him. And that's where discernment for our own lives kicks in, where we just say, okay, this is truth. This is the way I'm going to go. This is a path that I'm going to follow. Um, I think that, in a sense, as we cultivate that, there becomes more and more of an alertness as to what's right and what isn't. And then there's an opportunity to, for us to grow in that, in a sense, to become knowledgeable of his voice. One of the worries I have in our particular culture is that there are so much there is, are no, there is so much noise around us and so many opportunities for distraction that rarely do we calm ourselves enough to, to truly listen. I wrestle with it myself. It's so easy to just be about something else rather than just quieting my heart. I have the privilege of coming into this building when it's empty most of the week, and so I really have no excuses. But it, it's still, it, it, it's the same for all of us in the sense of where do you go, what do you do to calm your heart enough to hear? And are you taking the time necessary to let that happen? One of the, the challenges, I think, is that we get so used to outside stimuluses that if we go more than a couple minutes without some kind of thing popping up or a text we will make our own text or you know it's just there's 
there's got to be that constant, why? Why? Because we're, we're part of a culture that's not listening. And the truth is that somehow we've got to, to turn against the tide with that, even for our personal lives. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. They'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Lord, let that be a part of our lives. You know, to practice running away. Doesn't make sense to me. I'm changing. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) Action out of it. He's using a figure of speech that says the Pharisees didn't get it. They didn't have all the noise, but they had enough. (laughs) They weren't listening. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. So he's, he's taking another part of this picture, and he says, I'm the passageway. You want peace with God? He says, I'm the gate, the doorway. I'm the opening to let that happen. The others are thieves and robbers. He says, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So he's saying this doorway that I offer to you is the opportunity for healthy life. This this thing that I'm opening up brings you into wholeness. It's not the clamp and and the dungeon and the prison. It's the opening to life. It's, it's interesting, this whole idea of the paddock or the, the gate. They'd take them in at night for their protection. They'd release them in the day so they could flourish and eat. You know, for us, the gate is to give us protection and health. There's another picture of this because he, he takes it further. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. When he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Can you imagine what these guys were taking on? But what Jesus is declaring, he says, I'm going to lay down my life. In other words, I'm dying for this cause. I'm dying to defend you. Dying for your life, that you might live. And what we recognize is that the, the, the amazing gate is the one that takes us through death into eternal life. So that when the, the apostles, you know, they, they've been with Jesus, they go through the crisis of his crucifixion, but when they recognize his resurrection, their lives are transformed. Their ability to stand up to society and in a culture that is opposed to their belief, it, it means nothing anymore because they found something so powerful and so wondrous beyond what this culture offers that their lives are transformed and they're willing to die for it because they're saying, 
This, this is just a doorway. It's another gate. What's the worst you can do? Take my life? Well, <laughs> have at it. There's more. There's eternity. And with that belief in mind, they moved forward with the message of the kingdom. It can never be too far from our own thinking. It needs to be a part of our decision-making, recognizing that this wondrous gate is there open for us. The opportunity for eternal life is more important than any other decision and any other activity of this lifetime. It says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen, and I must bring them also. You know, folks might use that portion of the verse and say, well, that opens the door for everyone, right? Read the rest of the verse. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So unification or unity is presented how through Christ? It's presented under his umbrella, right? It's presented under his authority. It's not presented as just another picture or another way, but it's presented as the way. And those that participate in his kingdom that would be brought in must respond to his authority and his voice. So that's where we're looking at well, quaint illustration, but he was very specific that this isn't open for discussion and other options. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it up from, from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So he, he's declaring, he says, I'm walking in obedience to what God has called me to do. I'm responding to what he's asked of me. He says, I am laying down my life in obedience to him. But he's also given me authority to pick it up. So he's, he's presenting the picture even before he dies and saying, I'm going to die, but I'm also going to rise again. He's saying there is a power over me because of my obedience in the Lord that has authority even over death. Now this, in that day, caused confusion. And they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you did not believe because you're not my sheep. This is so critical to me that, you know, it's, it's the thing of, well, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'll make my decision, but you know, I just got to figure a few more things out. Bottom line is, are you following or not? Are you listening or not? Are you responding to what he's asked or not? It's not gray in this regard. You have the choice. You either follow or you don't. But it's laid out. That's that's what Jesus is putting out. You know, I, I thought these illustrations, you know, sheep are warm and fuzzy. It's all lovey-dovey. Yeah, they are fuzzy, but... Uh. 
he was, he's very specific. And he's not unafraid to talk directly to the Pharisees and say, you don't get it because you're not mine. Here's the summary, verses 27 through 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So very powerful declarations by Jesus through this illustration of sheep, shepherd, and gate. Father, we pray that you'll help us to listen to your voice and follow you. That we'll be responsive to what you ask of us. That we'll be careful to recognize that these are issues of life and death in you. Thank you for the eternal life that you offer. Amen. I have a number of friends that over the years I've watched have entered into relationship with Christ. And then it comes to this decision point whether they're going to be patient in the Lord or whether they are going to give up and just do what seems immediate. I watched a number of guys choose sleep with their girlfriend rather than be patient that God will bring them the right person at the right time. Generally, those relationships didn't last all that long, but their lives have taken a turn, and then it's another decision, and, and next they're going, I don't even know if God's real. Well, you chose a profane path, and now you're trying to justify your decision-making what you've done. I just encourage you, respond to him and trust that he truly is a good shepherd, that he wants health for your life, and that he will lead you into that as you trust him. I get the other end of it as a pastor. I get the relationships, you know, people are coming back together and they're going, I was very promiscuous before I got married, and I'm having trouble keeping my mind attached to my partner. Or I just, I'm having trouble just staying focused. Or I, I just, you know, and I'm trying to work through and saying, it would have been a whole lot better had you listened the first time. We're going to do our best to help you get through this this time and see full healing in the Lord. But, you know, in the immediate, you don't see all the implications of what's taking place. It's down the road that you're going, I don't even know what's up anymore. God has a good plan. And that what he lays out for us is life. And that's what we desire in him. I want to pray for his blessing upon you. What remains is open-ended worship. If you need prayer, I encourage you to move toward the front there will be a meal downstairs today. May your blessing rest on these, your people, and they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy 
that you are the good shepherd and the gate, the doorway to life. I pray, Lord, that as each one goes into the community, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that their deeds will be fitting with the workings of your kingdom. Enable them to carry out the supernatural. We love you this day. In 